In Session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadid Holakui, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes. Again, our studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I start, I wanted to announce the book of the week for this week, which is The Moral Animal, Why We Are the Way We Are, The New Science of Evolutionary Psychology by Robert Wright. Um, I mentioned this, that I wanted to read this book for a while. Parham, my brother, had uh, told me about it a long time ago. Um, he makes a lot of recommendations to me that I end up using for Books of the Week, and thank you to everyone who does send those my way as well. As I mentioned, Monday night I won't be here next week. I'll be out of town, so I won't be doing any shows, so I'll be talking about that book, The Moral Animal, in two weeks. But I also wanted to announce the book of the week for next week, which is The Passion Par- Paradox by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus, um, and I'll be talking about both of these books the week that I'm back, April 22nd. So looking forward to reading these and sharing these with you then. I wanted to start off the show today um, talking about a topic that was sparked during a conversation I had last night about being our true selves. And this is something we hear a lot, and there's a lot of pop psychology and new age psychology, and everyone is talking about being themselves and being their best self, living your best life, and and all those types of things. But we can sometimes ask ourselves, what does that really mean? Or what does that entail? Because like a lot of advice and a lot of guidance and wisdom, it sounds very simple, but it can be a very difficult thing to do. So in order to be our true self, it sounds very easy, but the first and very important part is to know who that is. And it might seem simple, but it's not that simple. We have to actually take time to reflect and also take time to reflect without judgment of ourselves to see who is there, who am I. And without judgment, or if we have judgment, we won't be able to do this um, assessment really accurately. We have to look at who we are without judging what is there because when we really look at who we are, we have to be ready that there's some things we won't like. There's going to be some things that are, of course, positive and great gifts and strengths, but also weaknesses and securities and different aspects of ourselves that we might not feel so good about. And we have to be open to seeing those things as well. So we have to go into it with the mindset of non-judgmental awareness, which is something we also use in meditation, that I'm going to see what's there and recognize that because I'm a human being who has flaws, who is not perfect, I can see what's there and still love what's there. I don't have to be afraid of what I see. And that's the first step, taking a look at who we are learning about ourselves and getting in touch with it. But then after we know ourselves, we have to love ourselves. We have to love what's there and accept what's there. Now, this word acceptance, 
I've talked about many times on the show, people can have reactions to it. Because a lot of times when we hear acceptance, we think that means resignation, meaning we don't want to change or grow in any way. But that's not what acceptance actually means. Acceptance means accepting who I am today. Just like you accept a child where they are today, we can have that same approach and mindset to ourselves. For example, if you are teaching a child math and she is learning addition but is still having some problems with counting the numbers, let's say, you won't be upset with her or mad at her for not being able to do that yet. You will accept her where she is, make her feel good about that, while still understanding you have the mindset of wanting her to grow, that she will get better, that she will learn more. So we can have that same mindset with ourselves. Okay, this is who I am today, but I know I can grow and become even better, and I want that for myself. Not because what I am now is bad, but because I know I can be even better, and that's what I'm going to create for myself with love. And Carl Rogers had a wonderful quote about this, that the curious paradox is that only when I accept myself as I am, only then can I change. I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but that's essentially what it says, is that until we, don't, until we accept ourselves, or if we don't accept ourselves, we won't actually be able to change. If we keep fighting and resisting who we are at this moment, we won't allow ourselves to grow. And so we have to first love and accept who we are, where we are, what we are, and then we can actually do the work to keep growing. But we have to have that mindset first. And so, as I mentioned before about dealing with a child, it might sound funny to a lot of people, but we have to have that mindset with ourselves. Love yourself the way you would love a child. Love yourself the way you would a child who is trying to grow, who you know is doing their best, who you know is lovable just for being. A baby doesn't have to do anything for us to feel that it deserves love. We just know that he or she deserves love, and all of us once were babies, and all of us still are worthy of that love. So we have to love what is there and get in touch with who is there. And then comes the risk of showing who is there, because once we show our true selves, then that true self can get rejected, and that can hurt, that can be painful. We have to be open to other people's judgments that some people might not like who we are or what we are, but we have to be okay with that. Last year, I read a book called The Courage to be Disliked, and I mention often that I pick a lot of books, not just even on their covers, but really just based on their titles, and I loved that title. I still do, The Courage to be Disliked, because if we want to live a life where we are genuine, if we want to be ourselves, we have to have that courage to be disliked. We have to be ready that some people are not going to like us, and that's okay. It doesn't mean they're bad or that we're bad. It's just that people are different, they have different preferences, they like different things, and that's all right. But we have to be willing to have that courage that some people are not going to like us. When you're your true self, you can't make it, you won't make everyone happy. Actually, even when you try to be uh, wear a mask, you won't make everyone happy, but we'll try that. But when you're being your true self, you have to be ready to have those people who won't like you, conflicts that will come up when you express what you're actually thinking and feeling. And a lot of times people shy away from this because it could feel a lot safer and a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to wear a mask, to be someone else, to try to pretend to be what you think people want you to be. But we lose no matter what when we do that. 
Because if people don't like you, if they reject you, well, that's not going to feel very good no matter what, even if you're wearing a mask. We know how sensitive we are to rejection in the social sense. As much as we'd like to think we don't care what other people think, we do to a degree. We want to make that less. So the rejection doesn't feel good. But then even if they do like us and love us, but we're wearing a mask, we're pretending to be something and someone that we're not, well, then we have this feeling of, well, they don't even love the real me. Maybe if they knew who I actually was, am, they wouldn't love me. And so it doesn't feel very good. It doesn't feel like love. Or we still might feel unlovable because we know who we are being is not actually us. So even though it's more comfortable, even though it's safer and easier to wear a mask and to pretend to be someone else, we won't ever live a happy, fulfilling, and good life if we do that. We have to take the risk we have to risk being vulnerable and showing who we truly are to have genuine, deep connections and relationships, to feel good about ourselves, and to live a happy life. It's the only way we can do it. But that does take a risk because another aspect of this process of showing our true self is having trust and faith in other people. As I mentioned before, sometimes people won't like us, but a lot of people have this fear of being judged because they think that people are bad. People are out to get you. If you show them your sensitivities, they're going to see it as weakness and take advantage of you or put you down or judge you in negative ways. People are manipulative. We, if you have this mindset, it becomes too scary to show your true colors. It becomes uh, an unsafe world. In an unsafe world, you can't put your guard down. You always have to be ready so it's safer to not let people see who you truly are. So in order to take that risk, we also have to recognize that, yes, it's a risk, but we have to have some faith in people and some faith in the world that maybe people can be judgmental at times, but overall it will be okay. And I can handle sometimes people not liking me, but I won't be afraid of being hurt or taken advantage of. And this is where we have to look back at our own childhood because if our parents were judgmental or even worse, emotionally or physically abusive, it gives us this idea that people are not to be trusted, that you have to always protect yourself. And we can understand this. If the two people who were meant to protect you the most, to take care of you the most, are actually hurting you and harming you, this is, of course, going to have a huge impact on what you will expect from other people. How can you expect better from others when the people that were supposed to protect you hurt you? And this is why child abuse is such a horrible thing. This is why parents have such a huge responsibility to make sure, of course, they don't even hurt their kids in any extreme way, but that they're helping their kids feel loved and accepted. This is the big responsibility that parents have. And parents sometimes think they're trying to raise their kids to be successful students or high achievers. And those things are very uh, are important, but a very small aspect more what your job is to make your child feel loved and appreciated for who he or she is. They don't have to be someone else. They don't have to uh, act this way because that's the good way or worry about what other people think. We want to allow them to be the best version of themselves and recognize that who they are is lovable and they will have uh, flaws, they will have weaknesses, and they also will have strength and we'll love them with all of that. We'll see them for who they are. And that's why... Although, of course, abuse and emotional neglect or 
uh, comments that are hurtful are very bad. I always tell parents, you have to be careful not to just think, well, if I tell my kid they're perfect and good at everything and nothing they ever do is wrong or bad, that that isn't good either because they don't really feel seen. It could feel nice for someone to say everything you do is perfect, but you also feel, one, that you can't meet the standard that they're setting, and two, they don't really see you. If you know you made a mistake and someone tells you that wasn't a mistake, yeah, in the moment maybe it feels a little bit easier, but you also don't feel seen. So as a parent, your job isn't to tell your kid they're only good and all good and perfect and the most beautiful, smartest, whatever label you want to put on them. You want to actually see them for who they are and show them that who you are is lovable. I see you and I love you. And if we can give them that message, it can give them that faith that I can love who I am. And I can also trust that when I show who I am, people can love and accept that, that I don't have to be afraid of that. Now, most of us probably didn't get that kind of parenting, but we really got that message. And that's why we have to, in that way, parent ourselves. Slowly show ourselves that I'm going to see who's there, and I'm going to love who's there, and I'm going to give myself the benefit of the doubt that I'm not supposed to be perfect, and that's okay. And that I want to have relationships that are genuine, where I'm going to be open and show who I am, and I'm going to be with someone who's going to do the same, and when you do that and someone else does that, that's when we can create a beautiful relationship with emotional intimacy and connection, which we should all be seeking. When we wear masks, we can only get so close. When we take the masks off, we can touch in the emotional sense, in the physical sense, in every way we can be closer and connected. Um, so thank you to the person I was talking to yesterday who sparked this conversation about being our true selves it's a very easy cliche thing to say and even in these 15 minutes i only scratched the surface of how deep and important of a topic that it is but just wanted to share some thoughts on that all right let's get to our first commercial break studio number 3104410555 you're listening to in session with dr fatty delacqui we'll be right back Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thank you, Mr. Thank you, sir. Um, so I was just wondering, what do you have as far as to recommend to someone who's in college and they're looking to go to graduate school and they're, you know, they have a normal life, but mm -hmm. they just feel like they're never doing enough? Okay. Um, yeah, well, let's talk a bit more about what's going on here. And I myself was once in college and looking towards graduate school, so I can relate to some of that. But I'm wondering when you say you feel like you're never doing enough, um, is that something you've always had, something you've always experienced, or is this something that you're experiencing now? It's something that has always been with me mm -hmm. as I went through high school. But, you know, the, of course, the higher up you go, to like closer to what you, you know, are going to do for the rest of your life, I just feel it more and more. So, like, right now, like, I, I do well in school. I could be doing a little better. Uh, it's, I don't know how to explain it. I just what? never, I've never felt like I'm doing enough. Like, if my, like, right now, I just feel like, you know, I'm not ready. And I, and my friends and peers think I'm all, you know, doing very well for myself. Mm -hmm. But it just, it feels kind of, 
you know, it feels like once I get to, once I try to, you know, go to graduate school and stuff, and I haven't taken the exam or anything, but I just feel like a lot of pressure. I don't think I can stand to that pressure. Well, yeah, you know, I have some bad news for you, and that's that you'll you'll never do enough. If by enough you mean you could do more, as you said yourself, there's always going to be more that we can do. And one of the biggest challenges of life is finding balance. How do we balance everything we have to do from taking care of ourselves to our career, or education, or working hard and making sure we're okay? So likely what you're going to have to figure out is not how you can do even more because it does seem like you're doing enough based on what people are telling you, the feedback you're getting, but recognizing that you can shift the way you think about what you're doing, which there seems to be this feeling that you're not enough somewhere deeper that then is being reflected in no matter what you do, it's not enough. And so that's what we have to look at more is where does that not enough feeling come from? Well, I grew up with Iranian parents. So I... <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that, that does seem maybe I should have just, uh, we could leave it at that, but I'm sure there's more details to get to. But yeah, so I'm guessing that they made you feel like you were not enough. Well, when I was in, when I was younger, yes, they gave me the, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer situation. But, uh, but after some time has passed and, you know, when I was going through my last years in high school, they were, they were more forgiving and they realized that I was stressed out and they just, they kind of said, you know, we just want you to be happy at the end of the day. So I don't know what, the, I think they listened to your show or mm-hmm. something. And so they, they, uh, changed their perspective at some point. And, uh, I thought, you know, like what, what do you recommend for me to do to, as far as you, you can, you know, how do I find my balance? What do I do to not feel so much? Pre- like if, if the pressure has to be there, how do I balance it? Well, the pressure, you know, there's some people where you're, you feel like, okay, they maybe need to recognize that they need more pressure because they're not going to work hard enough. But for most people, and especially someone like you, it's almost the opposite. You're going to do enough. You don't need that fire. It's almost too much. It's like it's on the other extreme where it's um, holding you back rather than pushing you forward. But like I said, for me, what's more important is, yes, it's easy for me to tell you, hey, you're doing enough, you're good enough, you're lovable. But for you to internalize that and feel that is very difficult. If that was the case that me just telling you would be enough, then most therapy would take one session because you could tell the person those kinds of things. And if it was able to just internalize them for them to feel it, you'd be done. But changing what you have, this mindset, it's so deep and it's more of an emotional type of thing that it does take time. And so uh, one thing I'll just mention is that going to therapy can be helpful because what you're going to have to do is uncover this feeling of not being good enough. And we, you touched on it very briefly with your parents, but getting more deep into that to slowly change it. It's not likely there's something I can just tell you that's going to shift that right now. I can tell you the things and hopefully it'll resonate with you at some level, but unfortunately more than likely you'll still think or at least feel the same way. It's more of a feeling than a thought. It's a feeling that seems so true that you don't think it could be any other way. So there's no quick fix to this and you have to be ready for that. But the good news is if you do make this kind of a change, it will be pervasive in almost every area of your life and will change the way you feel about yourself, which is the most important thing. I'm happy you're in undergraduate school and graduate school, and I 
wish you all the best in those ways. But I hope that you more than anything feel okay about yourself and feel good about yourself so that if you get into your dream school or you don't get into any school, you'll still love yourself no matter what and realize you're lovable regardless. That's very good, doctor. So go to therapy is your recommendation? I mean, that's the first first part, absolutely. But while I have okay. you, we can talk a bit about what you did experience. One thing I'll mention, um, I'm not sure if your parents did this. Some Persian parents and parents in general, they feel like if they encourage their kids too much or give them positive reinforcement, it'll make them lazy or make them get complacent. So don't tell them they're so good because if you say you're doing a good job, they'll take it easy and they won't try anymore. And unfortunately, this, this isn't how people tend to work. Now, as I mentioned in the previous segment, if you praise them for things they're not doing or praise them in ways that aren't accurate, that can backfire. But if you recognize genuine effort and praise them and make them feel good about that, usually it doesn't make people give up. It makes them want to do more of that thing. So did you feel that way, that your parents gave you that feeling of what you were doing was not enough or you had to always do more in some way? There was a time when my parents did compare me yeah. in a way to, you know, your so-and-so cousin's a, a scientist or something. I'm like, yeah, yeah but I'm, I'm 12, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. so there'd be those situations. But, but over time, uh, as I grew up, my parents kind of leaned off me and they realized, I don't know, they, they seem to change their perspective. And they're like, it's, we don't care what you do, like, as long mm. as you're happy. Yes. And I'm like, well... You know, I don't know, like, what makes me happy, to be honest with you. Like, yeah. I have an image in my head, I have a plan, but when I, as I'm going through it, it just seems like, like, I, don't get me wrong, I'm not, you know, sad all the time. I just always feel like there's something that I can do. And and I don't know if it's because they've, uh, they raised me so, as early on with that mindset, but mm -hmm. it's it's stuck, whatever, whatever yeah. stuck, stuck. And and that what that's what happens. Whatever uh, you know sticks does stick, and we tend to internalize the voice of our parents. Unfortunately, good and a lot of times even more the bad, and then we start to act that way with ourselves. So that feeling that they gave you of you know comparing you or you not being enough, which you can now recognize as something bad. Unfortunately, you automatically do it to yourself now that you need to be doing more. Uh, you can do better. And another thing you mentioned about your parents, which is also very common, is. A lot of times parents will say something, but really based on their actions and other things they say, the kid doesn't get that feeling. So I work with parents that say, oh, I give my kids so much freedom to do whatever they want. But then you see how controlling and judgmental they actually are most of the time. So those words can feel very empty to say, for example, we want you to do whatever you want. You, you know, anything that makes you happy makes us happy. But then when you tell them something and they have a strong judgment or reaction to it, it doesn't really give you that feeling that you can do whatever you want and they'll be happy with it. So we can say one thing, but it's more important how we follow through with that than just saying a comment of, I want you to be happy. I don't care what you do. The only thing that matters to me is your happiness. Those are good words. But we have to follow it up with our other words and actions that we do. Um, but, you know, and that idea of comparing, that's unfortunately a very common Persian parent thing, but all parents thinking that to encourage you, I should tell you about so-and-so and, you know, someone else who's so successful. And like you said, sometimes unrealistic in multiple ways, even by age or other factors. Um, but it doesn't really help. You know, comparison is a, unfortunately a bad thing that we can create as a habit 
because we might think even sometimes it's good to compare ourselves to people who are worse than us or worse off than us. But all that does is create the comparison mindset in our head. And inevitably, we'll find someone who's better than us or doing more than us. And with social media these days, that's becoming even worse. And that's going to make us feel bad. We don't want to focus on comparing. And parents from a young age should be teaching kids that we're not comparing you to anyone else. We love you for being you. We want you to be the best you, not you to be as good as your cousin or be this way or be that way. We want you to be the best version of yourself and really let you be happy. So these are the things that you're going to have to to try to change. Now, tell me a bit about what you're doing as far as grad school. Maybe you don't want to mention the test, it seems like, just because you've said it in very generic ways, so you don't have to. Um, But where are you in the process? Um, I am currently studying for uh, my LSAT. Okay. And I'm one year away from graduation, you know, as long as you take the five-course load each semester. Okay. Um, excuse me. Um, yeah, so that's that's where I'm at right now. I'm taking my last of my last year of my classes, mm-hmm. and uh, it just feels very, uh, you know, getting there. You know, yeah. just really close to to finishing up. And I haven't applied to any schools yet, of course, because. I haven't gotten my LSAT scores yet because I have taken LSAT. So <laughs> yes. I'm just, I'm but, you know, even, you, do you see what you did there? I think that's that reflects part of where your mindset goes. Almost like I was going to be disappointed in you or you haven't done enough. When it's not even possible for you to have applied to schools yet. And no one has that expectation. But it's like you have to give that little bit of a disclaimer that I, you know, to say I, I couldn't have done more in this case or I'm not doing bad because I can't do this yet. And the LSAT is a very difficult test of course and you're gonna have to prepare for that and anyone who's gonna take it or gonna take it soon good luck with your studying for that because it is a challenging test Um, in some ways just by the way you talk I think you're a very logical person so you might be good at the LSAT but we'll see you know how you do it it is challenging and another important thing for me is you mentioned earlier that they say your parents will say do what makes you happy Um, and I really do want you to reflect on that because you said you're not sure what makes you happy. And a lot of uh, kids of parents who can be opinionated and even controlling will have this experience where their whole life their parents made their decisions for them. And then now they're getting older and they're asked to make these huge decisions in their life like who to marry and what to do for a career. And they feel like they have no idea because first they didn't get the opportunity to try and to fail or try and see how things go of making decisions. But then secondly, because of their parents always making their decision for them, it gives you this message that you're not good enough to make the decisions on your own. You don't know what you're doing, and I have to come in and save the day for you. And so you don't feel like you have the capacity to make good decisions because they've told you repeatedly through their actions that you won't know. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to get it wrong. I have to make it for you. And that's why it's so important for parents to give their kids that space to make the decisions, to show them, one, you trust them to make the decisions, and also let them deal with the consequences because that's going to help them learn and grow as well. So based on how you're describing yourself, I can imagine you're one of those people that thinks, and even the way you said it, based on doing a five-course uh, uh, you know, workload and doing this and this and this, like you're very focused on getting done. Um, how old are you? 20. 20, okay. So very, very young. Um, and and I don't want you to feel like you have to rush to make a decision of what you're going to do because you have to do it in the shortest amount of time possible. Let's say you become an attorney. You're going to be an attorney for 
like 40 years. If it's 40 years or 39 years or 41 years, it doesn't really much matter. But what's really important is you make sure you pick the career that is the one you actually want to do. So I'm not opposed to people taking a gap year or a year off to really reflect and make sure that they know that where they're going, the career they're pursuing is what they want to do. And of course, you can even change it down the line as well. But not to feel this rush to feel like we're in this rat race where we have to make sure we finish as soon as possible. Because again, there's some other kid that your parents can tell you about who graduated law school at 23 and a half or something or 24, and you're already behind compared to them or something to make sure you're doing what you really want to do. And so I would really ask that you take that time to make sure you know what you're doing and not just feel like I have to complete something because the way you're talking, you're going to always feel like I could do more. So right now you might tell yourself, well, if I do the LSAT and I get into law school, I'm going to feel good. But unfortunately, then you're going to have the next one of like, okay, now I have to finish law school and do really well. And then, okay, now I have to take the bar and, the, and then I have to get a good job and this. You're always going to have something. That feeling you're describing isn't on the outside. It's on the inside. And so you're never going to quite get there. You're always going to feel like, well, now there's something else. And you're saying, I want to be happy and I want to get to this place where I'm happy. Um, but really, happiness isn't this thing we chase and then we go towards. It's something that we seek and develop and build within ourselves. We can't chase happiness. We have to be happiness and feel that ourselves. And so this notion that once I do this, I'll be happy. Once I get that, I'll be happy usually leaves people feeling very disappointed because either they don't make it there and they feel bad or they get there and they see they're not happy and they feel even worse about themselves because like, oh, I got everything I wanted and I'm still not happy. But they're not realizing that what's missing isn't about achieving something on the outside. It's feeling something on the inside. So I know I threw a lot at you and maybe going back to what we talked about earlier, I'd highly recommend going to therapy. I'm a big fan of everyone going and I talk about it on the show myself that I go to my own therapy because I think it's a wonderful thing for people to go through, not for something uh, that means you're crazy or have problems or something bad. It's about self-awareness and growth and that's a wonderful thing so i really hope you'll consider going not just for a few sessions go for a while you have to build a relationship with your therapist to get the kind of benefits that we're talking about and that's going to take some time okay well thank you doctor sure. i appreciate that you gave me some things to consider I, yes i think i will take a look at my therapist around in my area and uh i think i'll start a session or something i hope you'll do that i hope you that's nice talking okay. to you nice talking to you too all right take bye. care bye-bye all right, going into our next commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamro, you're on the air. Hi, doctor. Hello. Um, I'm calling about my brother. Okay. He's having some trouble getting started in life. Mm -hmm. How old and is he? He's 25. 25, okay. Is he your older or younger brother? He is my older brother. Okay, how old are you? Years. I'm 23. 23, okay. Go ahead. Um, so he is, as I said, 25. He's not working or going to school. Um, and he has, for most of his adolescent and adult life, had various sort of mental health issues um, and this has caused my mom a great deal of sadness and stress because you know, she has 
these certain sort of traditional values, which make it very difficult for her to, as some other parents might give him a nudge, say, you know, you need to either move out or find a job. So he uh, has been and is living with her. Um, and, you know, as a mom, she just wants to see him do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel kind of caught in the middle of things mm-hmm. um, because, of course, I, I respect my mom's impulses. But on the other hand, um, I, I think, you know, he, he needs a change to, in order to, to really better himself. Yeah. So, yeah, I, w- I was just wondering what you would recommend to someone who feels... Um, Again, like they're between okay. a, a rock and a hard place. Yeah, right? well, I think, and yeah, you're between the rock and a hard place too. Um, and, and that's, and I'm talking to you, so I'll in a way focus on you as well, but we'll talk about the whole family because it seems like there's a lot going on there. But you did mm-hmm. mention your brother dealing with mental health issues his whole life. Can you tell me more about that? What was he dealing with? Sure. Um, so I think his official diagnosis is bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, so he has that going on that causes him at times um, to, to fluctuate between, you know, doing pretty well, feeling stable, and then getting very sad, mm-hmm. or other times even more troublingly um, aggressive. But he, I think, um, just uh, suffers from a real lack of motivation, um, has contented himself with things like gaming um, and a circle of friends who have that as their principal interest and hobby, and mm-hmm. um, he's really just allowed that to become uh, the world he lives in, and it, it, you know, to me seems like a, a kind of a fantasy world he escapes into. Yeah, it um, sounds like it. Um, did yeah. he complete any education? No, so he was for a while enrolled in community college courses and then um, stopped doing that altogether. Uh, and my parents, you know, tried to, um, by different means, encourage him to do it again, but they realized that he was just not interested in it, and they were trying to push something that was not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, I think they then turned and accepted the idea that maybe all he would need is a job, you know, and maybe not everyone's kid is going to do the traditional go-to-college thing, and he can just, you know live and be self-sufficient but um even that has been challenging and they have not been able to to get him to do that and it's compounded again by things like my mom feeling like she can't really push him that she needs to be someone who supports him that she has certain obligations to him as um uh his parent Mm -hmm. well you know something you you know in the language you use they can't get him to do that and that's going to be true they can't get him to do anything he's going to have to do something himself um but you know you're mentioning something that a lot of parents can deal with especially in our persian community that they feel like if you love your kid you're supposed to always do the thing that makes them feel good and that's not the case even from childhood that Uh, I'll sometimes talk about uh, something I call the pain prevention philosophy of parenting, which is that people think that as a parent, your only job is to remove pain, even if it's necessary pain or even if it's pain that's good for your kid. And so I always say you have to differentiate between pain that is damage and pain that is about growth. If your child is hurt and there's a, 
you know, a rock in their shoe and it's hurting them, you take the rock out. But if your child has to study for a test and they're getting nervous, you can support them, but you don't say, well, let me call your teacher and cancel the test somehow or get you out of it. You let them face that kind of discomfort and pain because that's towards growth. So uh, it seems like your mom likely has what we would call a codependent relationship with your brother that as much as she wants him to do well and, and to get off, you know, get on his feet, she, there's probably something she gets from the relationship that they have that you might not be aware of. Just like your brother, uh, I doubt he's very happy overall and feels mm -hmm. good about his life, but there is definitely a huge comfort he has in you. I think uh, got it exactly right saying that he's living in this fantasy world because he's not happy with his actual life. He's trying to escape with video games and other things because, um, you know, that's at least comfortable in the moment rather than facing actual pain. Now, if he is diagnosed with bipolar disorder, that is a very serious mental illness that requires treatment. And by treatment, that would almost always mean medication along yes. with therapy, but medita medication would have to be there. Does he take medication? He does, and he is also seeing um, a, a therapist on a weekly basis. Okay, all right. Well, that part is good. Now, we always want to look at the medication, if it's the right, and I'm not a psychiatrist, and on top of that, don't know him and what's going on, but we can always look at that. Sometimes people will just stay on the same medication for years, even if it's not working. Sometimes we can see what we can do. Um, but the thing is, you know, you're... you're brother clearly is not okay with how things are going but if we get into a battle with him which a lot of times parents do of you know you're not happy or you're not living a good life um he's going to defend himself and so we have to try to connect with the part of him that isn't happy with his life not in a judgmental way not to put him down but in a compassionate way and so this is why i always tell people that we want to connect with the person's pain so if someone is depressed, for example, uh, if we keep coming at them and saying, oh, you're so depressed, you're so sad, you're miserable, you don't do anything, they're probably going to get de defensive and say, no, I'm not, I'm okay, it just seems that way, I'm all right, they get defensive. But if we say, I can see that you're not happy, or if when they come to us and show they're unhappy, connect with them and say, gosh, it seems like you're going through so much, you deserve to get some help or you deserve to make some changes that has a different type of a mindset. Um, but you guys are in a tough spot. And I think it's unfair for you also to get pulled into this, uh, which often does happen in families in these kinds of situations where maybe you're considered kind of the, the good kid or the golden child who's a little bit, who's easier and taking care of herself. But in some ways you can get neglected or even sacrificed because you're supposed to come in and try to save your brother. Um, and so I'm hoping you're not getting pulled in to that. Do you feel pulled in to try um, to make things better or are you able to separate yourself? I have managed to um, set some boundaries. For instance, I, um, I don't live with my parents. I live um, actually quite far away. Mm -hmm. um, so there is that, that boundary that I've managed to establish and I Good. think it has helped me, but I think, um, you know, just talking to my mom regularly it comes through and it, it's it's definitely an added weight that i deal with knowing that um my mom feels like you know this may just be her life forever is dealing with someone who no, shows no real sign of progressing and um feeling really eaten up by it it's hard not to um have some of that pain also seep into into your life so um sure i think it's 
it, it has affected me in, in that way as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, I don't think, you know, um, I, I think I've gotten mature enough that feeling like I'm not getting enough attention. Um, my family isn't a major concern of mine. It's, it's really just feeling uh, kind of helpless, you know, that this mm-hmm. is hard, which is, I think, how both my mom feels and how often I feel. I think she feels it because she's tried so many different things to help him and hasn't uh, gotten the results she really wants. And I feel it because I'm kind of um, watching almost from the outside and seeing this person I, I care so much about um, feel, like, again, really weak and, mm-hmm, and helpless. Mm-hmm. Well, what, what's your relationship like with your brother? Um, it, it's, it has its ups and downs, um, mm-hmm. just as, you know, his needs do. I think he can be very, uh, sweet and understanding, and, uh, in those, um, situations we are able to, to communicate well, but I, I don't think in, in those, when he's in that mood, we're really ever, um, being honest or talking explicitly about, um, some of the, mm-hmm. the issues you have, he has. Yeah. Sorry, um, and things get tense at, at those points, and um, this probably isn't the best way to go about it, but because I don't know how to uh, communicate my concerns with him about his own um, life status and mental health, that's just the, the topic we try to to avoid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I th- one thing that's good that you're saying is that you are trying to differentiate differentiate yourself or give yourself that space. And you need that. And even that's something your mom is going to have to do. Um, a lot of times parents think they have to sacrifice themselves or become a martyr for their kids. Or if their kid is unhappy, they can't be happy. But that actually usually doesn't help. Your mom, if anything, is probably hurting him more than helping him. One, by being too involved and giving him everything that he wants. And mm-hmm. two, by him seeing how much it affects her. Sometimes we think, you know, you'll hear parents say, oh, but doesn't she see or doesn't he see how much it's hurting me? And they you know, they make a change based on that. And the answer is no. If anything, usually you're adding more of a burden that makes it harder for them most of the time. It's possible sometimes someone will say, I saw how sad my mom was or my dad was and it made me change. But a lot of times it just creates this emotional baggage that actually can make it harder to make a change. So if your mom actually took a little bit of your... Uh, you know, um, took you as a role model of like, you have to take a little bit better care of yourself and not be just focused on him. That's actually going to be better for him. And I'm not saying neglect him and not, you know, support him, but she needs to take care of herself a little bit more and related to supporting him. She might be giving him too much of a life without consequences and doesn't mean she has to all of a sudden switch to 100% tough love. But there needs yeah. to be more of a realistic relationship. You know, we have to give them that. And probably he didn't get that from, you know, early childhood and adolescence and young adulthood where he's allowed to feel like a kid. And the way you describe him right now, it seems like he's living kind of like a, a adolescent life or teenager's life. And somehow, as much as she might not like that, she's making it okay or she's made it okay. And so that's also going to be hard to change, but there might need to be more consequences in things, not in a way of punishing him, but in trying to help him and support him. And at the end of the day, he's going to have to stand on his own two feet. We can be there, but until he takes those steps, no one could take them for him. So my advice to you would be continue making sure uh, you minimize the effect this has on you, whatever 
that means for you by either creating physical distance, emotional distance and space, but you have to make sure you get to live your life. You can't uh, be miserable because your brother is not living his life the way he can or should. And I would hope mm -hmm. even the same for your mom, that her being sad about him is not going to help the situation or her not living her life because she's obsessed with him. I'm not saying that's the case, but oftentimes it becomes that way is not mm -hmm. going to help. Um, this might sound like an unrelated question, but how are your parents still married? They are, but they also uh, have a, a set of issues uh -huh. that is, I think, really rooted in um, uh, issues surrounding my brother as well. Yeah. It's a kind of, uh, it's unfortunately devolved into uh, a back and forth where one accuses the other uh, mm -hmm. more or less of, of um, making him this way. Yeah. So it's created uh, significant marital tension yeah. between them as well. Uh, so, it, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's really affected every dimension, I think, of, of all of our lives. And I think you're right to suggest that um, my, my mom, by allowing it to, to stay this way, is it making uh, it better, better either her own emotional well-being or relationship with uh, mm -hmm. my dad. And let me, and another question for you, what what are you studying or what do you do? I'm a grad student um, in, on the opposite side of the of the country, so I, okay. I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it, it, it consoles my mom um, to know that, you know, one of her kids is living up to kind of the hope she had for both of us. Well, that and that it's, I mean, I get it, but that's kind of, uh, you know, a problem that you guys have to live up to her kind of hope or to make her feel okay. Of course, every parent wants good for their kids, but it, it shouldn't feel like such a pressure, even in the way you describe it. And even the way you talk, I was just wondering, you have to say what exactly you're studying, but you seem, um, you know, you said you're 23, but at times I feel like I'm talking to a 40-year-old. The way you talk about things, it's almost like too advanced and too, like you had to um, be aware of everything. And my guess would be at times put your own feelings away or suppress them or feel like there wasn't as much space for them. And maybe now you're dealing with yourself outside of them and maybe that's better. But I get I get a feeling of what you, you probably played a, a specific role in this family of being the easier one or being the one that didn't cause trouble and was aware of everyone else's feelings. That's the sense I get that you were seeing all three of them all the time. Um, and yeah. the way you describe your mom, she's so consumed with your brother at times. She probably wasn't able to fully see you um, in, in that I, way. Yeah. I would, I would say that that's uh, a pretty accurate assessment of, mm -hmm. of what my childhood and, mm -hmm. and adolescence was like was having, I think, um, it, problems and experiences that were beyond my age really rested at me. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, it, it's, it's gotten easier and I, I don't, I don't think I harbor any resentment towards my mom. I think, uh, it's human to want someone you can, you can, uh, talk to about these things and it is uh, and i'm and not saying i'm not going to tell you that you do harbor resentment but it's also human to be affected by that and i think definitely. that's the thing is that you had to become a little bit less human to make sure everyone was okay and by that i mean at times not have the same feelings or allow yourself to have that same space that they had and so i'm hoping by having this space it's giving you that space to allow yourself to feel and to be uh, you know, have your moments where you're difficult, challenging, or whatever it is that you, you have, um, and not have to hold that back. But the, the feeling I get of your family is that you 
learned to put that stuff away. There's a book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, and other books where I think you had this role of um, being kind of like a, a release valve or making sure things didn't get at worse, uh, which oftentimes means I can't have my own needs or my emotional um, issues that are coming up. I should put them away. But I think getting away and living your own life was probably the best thing you could do. And I, I hope you'll continue doing that, but also be aware that although your brother is the one who seems to have the emotional issues in your family, it's not that you necessarily have emotional issues, but there's definitely some emotional baggage you're going to carry from what you experience and continue to experience in the family. So I hope that you'll take care of you. And that's the only Thank person you. you can take care of. Thank you, doctor. Oh, it was very nice talking to you. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Take care, okay? Have a great day. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right, going into our next commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, thanks for calling. Thanks for having me on the sure. line again. Uh, I'm calling regarding the issue that I have for, uh, it was a mixture of both previous callers that you talked to, okay. I have a lot of feelings for guilt. I feel responsible for a lot of people's failure around mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And I always think that I'm not doing good enough in my life. However, sometimes my friends, they are telling me, you know, you are living your dream. And I'm like, no, this is not even close to my dream. And I always can do better. And then I bring the same mentality when I'm working. I always think that I can do better. And then the first mistake that I make, even though that is a simple mistake, I can fix it. I just keep on beating up myself for like, why did I do it? Why did I say that word? Why did I make that mistake? I could do better. So what's going to happen to me? And I'm like, mm-hmm. sometimes it's really frustrating for me to see how hard I am on myself. So I was wondering, what can I do to just slow down? Yeah, well, um, I'm sure it's more than just some of the time. I'm sure it's a lot of the time. And even um, a lot of times people who are hard on themselves can think that I have to be hard on myself and that's what makes me successful or that's what makes me good at what I do. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be pushing myself. And that's not actually what we see. Because when you're pushing yourself the way you're talking about it, you're running away from something. It's running away from not being enough. And that's never going to feel good and you're never going to get there. So sometimes the kind of cheesy way I put it is you want to be chasing your dreams, not running away from a nightmare. Meaning you want to do good and be good because it feels good and it's the right things to do. And you want to go towards something good and be the best of yourself because you want that and you want to share with the world and all those good things. Rather than because you're running away from being a failure or a loser or a bad person or all those other negative things. And unfortunately, that's where you are. So I know you said sometimes it can be difficult or not feel good. But really, when you're running away from something, all you can get is moments of relief but then you go back to that feeling of running or being afraid. So you really can't win in that way. And so similar to that first caller where I said, it's not some quick fix. I can tell you a lot of things and I will, and we'll talk about it, but for it to create a change in you is going to take some time because I can tell you that we're all human and everyone makes mistakes and 
Um, you're lovable no matter what. You're not lovable just because of performance or doing something perfect, that nothing is perfect, and that's okay to make mistakes. And not only just okay, it's how things are, um, and that you're worthy of love no matter what. But you might on a logical level get all of those things and maybe even have said those things to other people, but you don't unfortunately feel it within yourself. And there's something deeper no, that's don't. going on. Yeah. Um, I don't know somehow if it's related to my childhood or if it's related to my uh, divorce because um, I've been actually talking to you a couple of times before. Okay. Uh, I The most important thing that recently showed up and it made me realize that I, uh, my psychologist said that I'm an overachiever person mm-hmm. and a goal-oriented. So... Um, I don't know if it's related to my marriage because he was uh, emotionally abusive and he would bring the, my level of confidence really down by saying, can you do that? Are you sure you can do it? It's like, it's mm. just the stuff that made me doubt myself. Yeah. And then I had kind of the same problem with my sister when I was growing up. That she was always making me think that I'm not good enough. Mm. Even though that I was always the top student when I was at the school, I... When I went to university, I just kind of had to drop out because I moved to Canada and then I started working and I, you know, kind of put my education on the side because I thought, well, I'm learning enough in my workplace and I can just go with my workplace and maybe I should just put the education on the side. But now um, it's kind of getting to me that all my friends, they finished education. I never got to do that. How, by the way, is your sister older? Yes. Okay. And it's just the two of you? Okay. And then how would your parents treat you and her? Um, well, my parents are divorced, but my mom was uh, always fair to us. Um, she kind of always uh, refers to me as a mature child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my sister was a child with a lot of drama. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, yeah, uh, you know, there could be some feeling of... You know, even if your mom, you're saying she was fair, which I mean, I hope maybe she was, and I'm sure she was trying to be, but there could have been a feeling of guilt you had. So you, a lot of times siblings, obviously we think we want to be the one that's favored and be the one that gets more attention, which can feel good. But then because we identify so much with our siblings, very often there could be a strong feeling of guilt we have about that too. So, and it seems like your sister might have, amplified that by herself telling you you're not good enough and everything else which could have come from her envy or the way she felt especially you being the younger one but being the more even as you just said mature one or the better one and surpassing her in some ways you might have had this complicated feeling about those parts of yourself that were even good where you had guilt about it and so you wanted to not be good enough because it was too scary or not comfortable for you to be so good and so you're constantly right. reminding yourself that you're not good. You're not good enough because that feels safer than letting yourself feel good about your goodness. But then it doesn't make me feel good about myself. Oh, I didn't say it's. I don't. I didn't say you do it to make yourself feel good. No. 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 But you know, I compare myself to a lot of people, and then um, it came up to the point that the person that I was having a relationship before, I would keep on comparing myself with his ex-wife, and it's like. Well, she was better than me, and he was. No, it's not about you are better than her, or she's better than you. It's you are different, she's different. So try to understand that. And 
think that's the part that it's making me feel, you know, I don't, I don't really know how I'm going to feel about myself sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I fault my failures. You what? I just feel that. You what your failures? I fault my failures that, okay, I'm going to fail no matter what. People oh. are going to reject hmm. me no matter what. Hmm. So you expect rejection or failure? Always. Hmm. Well, you probably also do that to protect yourself from getting your hopes up or feeling good about something. And again, there could yeah. be a feeling of guilt of even having something, so it's easier not to have uh, because <laughs> you, you have that feeling of it's not good for me to be good or to have things. So, yeah, you're, you're, you kind of lose either way because either you win and you feel guilty about winning or you lose and you feel yeah. bad about losing. So you, you really exactly. can win, yeah. And so I, I I think this dynamic between you and your sister might be be something significant to look that look at. What was your father like? Uh, in my father's side, I was the favorite child, mm-hmm. and I remember one time my dad was angry because they were going through divorce, and then he was telling my sister she's better than you, and I felt so embarrassed. Mm. I was only seven, and I. I couldn't tolerate seeing my sister just sitting there and watching my dad to say, I am better than her. <laughs> yeah. And so, and that's what I'm talking about. Although we would think on the surface, it must feel so good. And of course, I'm sure that was devastating for your sister as well. And that's why your, your father's comments is a big time lose, lose. You're just going to make both kids feel worse at the end of the day. Um, yeah. but, uh, you know, it was horrible for her, but for you it was as well. And so there could be this feeling you got of don't ever shine, don't ever be good, always be bad, always be less than. And so even in your marriage, you chose someone who made you feel less than in some way, or you felt not enough for him all the time, or he was doubting you, which again, I'm not saying you did that because it feels so good, but something about that felt familiar, or it felt more comfortable than the other feeling, which is to be good enough, to be loved, to be valued, but then it comes with this guilt and these other horrible feelings. So you chose something in a way safer, and that's what most of us are doing. So a lot of times I'll talk about the comfort zone, and it can sound a little strange because comfort sounds like a good feeling, but comfortable just means easier. It doesn't mean we feel good or that we're happy. Actually, usually it actually almost always means we're unhappy with our lives when we're in, in our comfort zone. So unfortunately, this is your comfort zone is to feel as bad as it feels this way, that I'm not good enough, that I'm going to fail, that uh, some, someone is better than me, that I'm going to get rejected, that I'm not going to do well, because that's a safer feeling than to just accept I'm good because that wasn't safe. Your parents didn't allow you to feel good about yourself in a way that also didn't come with a lot of guilt and other bad feelings. Correct. And then... Um so that's going to relate to the fact that even when I achieve something, I just, yes, you are actually right. Because when I achieve something, I just try to hide it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Because there's a feeling of that can get you in a way punished, but, you know, with these guilty feelings or from your sister, or it brings up these bad feelings within you. That's what I mean. It's really, it's kind of heartbreaking. It's a, such a lose-lose. You either lose or you win and you have to feel bad about it or hide it. So you lose in that way too. Because you felt this feeling with your sister, and you probably had your own anger towards her too for making you feel that way, uh, which is probably that. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the thing. So, in a way, you're protecting yourself from your own rage by, uh, you know, appeasing the whole situation. You know, you're saying you're putting that away, so there's 
nothing happens. But really, you're probably so mad at her too. Really, it wasn't her fault probably, you know, when she was just a kid too. Your parents didn't handle things right. But you likely have anger and even rage towards her for making you feel the way she did. Like you said, she would tell you you're not good enough or the ways she would um, try to create doubt in you, which of course was coming from her own, own feeling of not being good enough that she was getting from your parents and just seeing between you guys. And your parents needed to do a better job for both of you, making you both feel valued and loved for who you were. But that wasn't there. And so now you're dealing with these consequences and they're still as pervasive as if you were still in that family home. Well, it doesn't stop to my, at my sister level now. Mm-hmm. Even if I have something, I want my friends to have that too. Mm-hmm. I, um, I was working with a company and then I got hired with a bear company. And I kept on thinking why the rest of my friends in the company didn't get that job. So I never enjoyed mm-hmm. my... <laughs> success for getting the job with a better company because I kept on thinking about 20 other people that they didn't get it. Yeah. That's, and that's the problem. You can't, you're not allowed to enjoy something. Nope. Yeah. That's really tough. And that's why, you know, even in your relationships, it seems like you didn't choose people that made you feel good. Uh, But again, it's that lose-lose. I'm sure if, if one of your colleagues got the promotion or got that better job offer maybe you would have felt good for them or that guilt wouldn't be there in some way but you probably would have felt like you weren't good enough if you got someone was picked over you but then even if you get it you feel bad and you feel bad not just and and you know this is a thing of course we're talking about your sister but then people become stand-ins we talk about projection for example where someone is angry with their mother and they take it out on their wife it's not about the you know they can be projecting now those old feelings and relationship onto that one but it seems like you have this feeling it's almost like you feel you want to be everyone wants to feel good and be seen but then you feel like if you're seen and especially if you're elevated in some way you're i'm having this image of someone who could then be shot with like bow and arrows you know like you're exposed so you feel like if you get something good you're then open to be exposed to their anger and their rage and their aggression, which also, again, I think is partially because you have some of that within yourself. But True. it's so scary to be exposed even for something good. So, again, it's it's tough. If you don't get it, you lose. If you get it, you have to be scared. It's not that's, That sounds pretty miserable. So, um, yeah, I, I can imagine that. So this is, again, something that only over a long time can you change this, but you have to be ready to change it to recognize that what you're doing isn't working. What you're doing is an old strategy based on old relationships and conclusions you made as a kid that weren't really true about the world, even true about back then, but especially not about now. And you have to be willing to take some risks against that. You have to break out of that comfort zone. The only way to break out of it is to become uncomfortable at times. And so that's going to be your challenge. Recently, I have started, when I have something and let's say my sister doesn't have it, I'm like, I'm not responsible for her life. Exactly. She's not That's responsible right. for my life. That's right. And, and really, probably the process you're going to have to go through is that eventually forgiving her as well. A forgiveness for of everyone, even your parents slowly. But really, when I hear the story, you know, she was a kid. We, I don't blame her. I, I, in a way, I don't want to blame your parents either, but they were the adults and the parents, of course. Your sister was trying to survive. They were making her feel like she wasn't good enough and she was bad and the drama and all those things. Yeah, she was actually caring towards me. 
especially because my when my parents they got divorced for uh, four years, my dad didn't let us to see my mom, and he oh. used to live with my grandma, and my grandma wasn't the nicest person. So my sister, she actually stood up and mm. she took the role of my mom for me for that four years yeah. of life. So she's not a bad person, and she's I, a really I, caring I, sister. Yeah. It is just I feel that we have this complex in our conscious that you know. One of us is not good enough, or one of us is old. So yeah, well, there could be that feeling that yeah, one of you has to not be good enough. Like we have, you know, there has to be some. It's a competition. Unfortunately, there wasn't enough love for both of you to have that. And now you're telling me just in some glimpses about how challenging your lives were. Your father taking you guys away from your mom for four years. Yeah. You know, this I do want to hear more about that because it seems very complicated and you just said it in one sentence and we're at a commercial break so just hang on the line let's talk some more after the break okay for sure okay all right you're listening to in session with dr fatty we will be right back welcome welcome back let's go to the caller we're with before the break Caller, are you still there? Okay. So yes, we were, we're talking about your family background. You, you mentioned to begin right. with that um, you have a lot of guilt. And actually, we didn't get to when you said other people's failures. That was something you said at the beginning. But you were talking about yes. your family. And I wanted to talk about that because you had a difficult childhood history. <laughs> right. Something you said was when your parents got divorced, your dad took you guys away from your mom for four years. So I wanted yeah, to give you a chance but, to say a little bit more about that. And that was when you were around, how old? Seven? Eight? I was eight. Eight, okay. Uh, I was seven when, um, I was the first grade when, when I came back from school and I saw my mom's suitcase as she's leaving. Hmm. So I guess that was one of the biggest traumas that I had. And in that time, again, with the feeling of feel that I had, I would keep on telling my sister that, you know, if you go to mom, I would stay with dad because I don't want him to be alone. That was me being the hero again. Oh. And then uh, nothing worked out the way that it was supposed to work out. They got to a fight and then, you know, my dad just took us, changed the address and then my mom didn't know where we are living and then eventually he sent us to another city with my grandma so we didn't get to see my mom at all. We weren't up to, we were not even allowed to see her. Wow. Um, that was for four years and then eventually when we go up and then my mom kind of, you know, instead of for the right of divorce or something, she was able to get us back. Hmm. Um, in that time, and I was telling my counselor, I focused on my school. I was, it's kind of, I ran away from all my problems mm -hmm. by just studying and doing stuff at the school and you know but even when I was doing something at the school and I was good when I was coming home then people would tell me you know here is not a school that you think you are the top student and you are the best person so we just need to slow down because I don't know somehow they kept on comparing me with my cousins and then you know they who is they to, um, my grandma mm -hmm. my aunt my dad's sister Mm -hmm. um, they both of them they had a big role in comparing me with other people. So, I mean, so yeah, so you know, hearing you describe that, 
of course there's so much there but one thing is again this feeling that to feel good about yourself is a bad thing you know it's so they would see you come home maybe proud of your achievements and there is something called genuine pride a lot of times we think of pride as this negative mm-hmm. thing but if you work right. hard and you achieve something you you should feel good about that that makes sense but it seems like even if you did that you would be you know knocked down you know figuratively yeah. emotionally and you would really feel it deeply that it was bad for you to feel good about something good so it can make sense that again you almost it's strange because you are afraid of failure but you're also afraid of achieving as well so it's yeah. this weird paradox that you're you're stuck in the middle um, but it seems like that was a very very negative environment for you to be in of course and then also removed from your mom which very often for a child although you might have realized it was not her fault it, it's not easy for a kid to understand that the parent isn't there for some reason other than maybe they're not good enough or something is wrong with them it's hard for kids not to take that personally so i can imagine that was a very difficult time i'm imagining you with a lot of just a constant sense of anxiety at home just an uneasiness and also this feeling of having to put your own feelings away related to something a previous caller i was telling them but i just can't imagine you were able to be comfortable in that home emotionally no we you are not comfortable at all mm-hmm. me and my sister but it's just i kind of studying was my case to go yeah. in and just get myself busy and i remember when i was i think i was 9 or 10 and in some uh, competition i was i got the first i was the first person in the province mm-hmm. and nobody even noticed it but mm. i looked back and was like wow i I did something and nobody even noticed and I'm, somehow I just didn't I wanted to hide it from people because I thought you know it's something it when I do something good sometimes I just tell myself that that's how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. and yeah. it's funny in my workplace I my first workplace it was the same thing my boss kept on telling me you're not good enough you know you should be part-time and I was running the department at the age of 18 19 Mm. even he didn't never appreciate me so now whenever i'm doing something good i'm like this is how it's supposed to be don't expect people to notice it well it's worse than um the way you're describing that first job it, it was almost like he was a perfect stand in for your family of don't feel yeah. good about yourself it's not good enough putting you down it's so it, it's tough yeah it's very hard to feel okay about yourself just in general to feel okay but then also to feel good about whatever you do again if you're doing a bad job you're told you're not good enough even when you do a good job sometimes you get that feedback but you can't win i'm wondering though when you were living with your grandma or with your dad did you bond with your sister during that time did you guys connect being in the way going through that together or did it make your relationship worse what happened during that time between you and your sister we actually bonded together yeah, we were imagine. good sisters we were always together but um as i grew up and i was i came to age of 16 17 18 then it was really hard for me to connect with my sister to mm. today a lot of the stuff and i need to talk about my personal stuff i don't go to my sister i go to my close friends and it's something that is bothering her she's always kind of you never come to me to talk to me you never want to say your stuff to me mm-hmm. your friends are always more important than mine well that's something that i really can't fight it what well, so what is it about how and, and yeah I'm, i'm not surprised to hear that you and her 
had that bonding during that time because it was such a difficult time and you were the only ones who really could understand what it was like so I could could see a bond or a connection during that time. Um, but right. when it comes to telling her something now, what's your feeling or reaction to opening up to her? Well, I'm just going to tell you something very, and as an example, I was going through my divorce and I wanted to get a lawyer. So uh, I told her that, you know, I found this institute that they just charge you, let's say, $200 and they fill the form, you go to court and you just find it. And she was like, no, that's not the right thing to do it because they're just filling the form and you're going to make sure that you do it right. And I was like, okay. I will find another lawyer. And I found another lawyer. I said, well, he's going to charge me 1200 and he's going to do everything. And he's, she's like, no, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, you know what? No matter what I'm doing, you're going to pick something. So I'm just doing what I feel is right. And then she stopped. That's always the reaction that I'm getting from my sister. I see. Okay. Well, you can even talk to her about that. It might not change things, but that you in the way you said that in that conversation but maybe when it's not actually about something you can talk to her about what how you feel when you tell her things that it, you're gonna she's gonna make you feel this way and so focus on i feel this way not you always do this you're so bad at whatever but if focusing on your own feelings about it and maybe there can be something there because you know you guys both went through a difficult childhood and it might be that you guys can't have a good relationship because of that maybe maybe not but I, there is something that we have with siblings where we do go through, we have to kind of go through this war together. And you right. are, in a way, the most equal because you're not equal to your parents, but you are in that way equal to each other. And so there is something very unique about that bond that siblings can have. Now, it could be possible right. that there won't be a good relationship with her no matter what. But I would hope that you can have that, but it'll involve talking to her about um, what's happened. You know, a lot of times we try to mm -hmm. heal the past and we have to do it all on our own because the people who hurt us or the people who were involved, either they're not around right. or talking to them might make things even worse rather than better. But maybe there is some possibility mm -hmm. there where you can talk to her. You can tell her if you want to have a closer relationship, maybe you don't, and that's fine too, um, about how you feel with her or if you'd like to be closer or what kind of relationship. And you shouldn't feel bad about not telling her everything about your personal life um it's not because you are closer to your friends or you prefer to them it seems at least to in a big part to be about how she responds to when you tell her things so yeah. uh you know it, that's that's the part where you can make her aware of how she makes you feel when you tell her things but that's something that you you can think about and see what you want to do right because we do have a good relationship i just don't open up to my sister yeah well i mean i it's probably a good relationship, but I imagine there's so much emotional debris based on everything you guys have went through together and between right. each other and comparison and all that, and that it's it's hard for there to be just a smooth relationship unless you guys want to start unpacking a lot of that, which a lot of people don't want to do, but maybe you guys can do <laughs> some of that, That, but that's, again, a two-person right. process and it has to be if she's open and capable and you want to do that as well, you know? Right. True. But yeah, I, I, yeah. But I hope, yeah. you know, if you heard what I was saying at the beginning, that you'll slowly change the relationship you have with yourself. And you mentioned something about a counselor. So I'm happy if you're going to therapy and you keep going to therapy because the type of damage you're talking about, it, it was built over years and it will take probably years to heal it. It's not something that yeah. is going to go away quickly. And that's come up a few times today, but that's just the reality of these things. When we've been right. hurt in our childhood, 
very rarely is it something that quickly can be fixed. And even fixed is a word I don't like because we usually work on our issues and they become a little bit better, but they don't go away completely most of the time. But I, I hope you'll continue. And the way you talk, it seems like you are continuing to work on them. Um, but I hope yes. you'll take some steps in being uncomfortable at times. For example, letting yourself shine and see how you feel and don't sabotage it or hold it back or feel bad about it. Or you might feel it, but don't let yourself act on that feeling all the time and, and see how it goes. Because unfortunately, the way you'll keep going is you, we were talking about it a few times, how you can't win. Either you fail or you not fail, but don't do well and you feel bad or you do well and you feel bad. And we saw a few different ways where you feel guilty about doing well. And so I hope you'll keep reflecting on that and see what you can do in that regard. True. Yes. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Well, thanks for having me. Sure. Thanks Always for calling. Always good to talk to you. <laughs> yes, a pleasure. Thanks for calling again. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. We're going into our last commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Back, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Hi, Fizz. I wanted to say thank you for your great show and thank you for taking my call. My, Thank you so much and it's my pleasure. Thank you. Go ahead. So I'm calling about uh, my job because right now I'm stuck at the job that I really don't like. Okay. <laughs> And I'm considering about changing careers. So just to give you a little bit background, I moved from Iran about 10 years ago. I went to a school in Philadelphia, so I studied public health. And I graduated about five years ago. And since then, I'm working in a research industry, in a clinical research industry. Uh -huh. But the more I stay in this job, the more I realize that it's not a good career for me. And I feel like even corporate America, it's not a good fit for me. Uh -huh. So I, I don't even want to change jobs because I feel like just moving from this company to another one doing the same thing, that's not going to help me much. So that's why I'm stuck, and I don't know what's the next step. <laughs> okay. When you say you, you're not happy with your job, what don't you like about it? Or is it things you don't like, or it's something that feels missing? And something that I, most, I don't like about it is that it's basically a desk job. So basically what I do is... I'm just, I work in the regulatory department, so I'm just mm -hmm. sitting at the desk reviewing documents all day, pretty much. And that there is really no excitement, no opportunity of learning new things and nothing. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, it's very important for us to feel in our job a challenge is important and also to make sure our strength or what we enjoy we feel like that's being utilized and it, it seems like for you maybe you prefer something where it's more involving people or interacting with people and you don't get that at your current job um, and also the challenge part I think it's important to note that because we have this myth about hard work 
because most people are for a lot of history now, recent history, people have been working for other people. So you work hard. So some big boss makes a lot of money. There's been this notion that if you can get out of working or if you can work less, it's good. And working hard is bad. When actually we know in, in a lot of ways it's the opposite. When we don't do anything, we don't feel good. And we work hard and our job actually challenges us. But it's a challenge we feel we can meet but it's challenging us in a way that feels good, that's actually the best thing we can have. So it seems like your job lacks that challenge for you and also something is missing and that you'd like to interact more with people, but what you're doing is research or you're reviewing things so you don't get that experience. So there's, of course, looking at is there anything within your field you said changing careers, which maybe you can do that also, but is you can see if there's anything within your field that would allow for you to get that challenge, but also, let's say, have more interaction with people. So there is, but the other thing is that I, was, I also looked into some nonprofits because I really like working with refugee population, and okay. I looked into some nonprofits, but the thing is that because... I don't have any professional experience working with any nonprofit. I even went to a few interviews, but they didn't hire me, which was really disappointing. (laughs) So because since I graduated, I've been doing this job in this industry, so I I really don't have any other work experience. Okay. Now, um, I'm glad you at least tried to pursue jobs in those areas. That's good. If you really feel like it's what you want to do, I hope you would not give up yet. Sometimes it's tough because we want to enter a field and it can feel like what we can call a catch-22 where it's that you need experience in that field in order to get a job in that field. But then you ask yourself, well, how can I get that experience if you don't let me get a job in that area? But there might be ways you can strengthen your application or make yourself a better candidate for that kind of work. So one thing you can do is to find someone to either mentor you or to ask for some guidance from someone in that field. Even sometimes you can say, I'd like to take you out to lunch to talk about what you do or something. If you have some kind of connection, of course, that'll make it easier. But if you really feel like working with refugees in a nonprofit organization is what you want to do, I would hope you don't give up on it. I'm, you know, you didn't you did a couple interviews. That's great. But that doesn't necessarily mean you can't do it. Yeah, and I mean, I tried uh, doing internships and I even applied for few internships. But unfortunately, most of them, they need me to be to come during the weekdays, which I already have a full time job. So I can't work <laughs> during the weekdays. So I even tried that internships too. But yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, it seems like you're very aware of what you want, or you're, uh, it seems like you are. And so I hope you'll keep working towards giving yourself that. I'm not sure exactly. Although before I get there, are you not sure if you should switch or what? Is, what is your question? No, I'm pretty sure okay. I want to switch because I'm pretty sure I don't want... I mean, in general, I don't want to be in a corporate America because I... The company I worked for, two companies since I graduated, and I feel like all they care about is just the profit and the money, mm-hmm. and they don't really care about their employees and their people, so that's also a part that I don't like. Yeah. 
But then I'm also having a hard time trying to figure out what is it that I actually really like. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's the other part, and you know, we have, you have to look for that. And people can be very disheartened, even you're in a field like public health, and you would think that it seems like a field where people would care about other people more than anything, but in a lot of markets, you'll see that it's the bottom line that drives people. And it could be disheartening at times to see that. And so maybe that's why you don't feel good about working at a company the way yours is right now. And so, I, again, I would hope you don't give up on that. And maybe you're not sure exactly what you want to do. But from what I'm hearing from you, it's not that you're just someone who's going to be unhappy no matter what you're doing. Um, but you aren't doing what you think is the right thing for you. And so keep pursuing that. Look at what you can do. You'll try something, and maybe that won't be exactly it, but you'll get closer to what you want to do. But I would hope you don't give up on that. I mean, oh no, I'm not giving good, up. But good. again, I'm just a stuck of like, what can I do to basically get out of this situation? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not easy because you have your full-time job. Uh, you know, I didn't ask you to start off. How old are you now? I'm 30 right now. 30, okay. So, you know, there's still a lot of time to pursue those things. And I don't know uh, in your personal life, how are things as far as dating or marriage or kids or do you want those things? Uh, yes, I do. But I'm dating right now, okay. but no serious relationship. Okay. All right. Well, that's I'm not sure when um, you would like to get married or what you're looking for. If you're saying it's not serious, that's up to you. Um, but don't lose sight of that either. The personal life, uh, I talked earlier with the caller about balance. We always want to make sure we're balancing. And sometimes we can go towards our career and our education to escape facing the other parts of our life. So make sure you're not doing that. But again, what you're describing is you're not going to be happy in your work the way it is. So I would hope you, you keep pursuing that something with, it could be the nonprofits are helping. I'm sure you went into public health with the desire to help people. And so make sure you're doing something where you feel that and maybe you want to do something where you more directly feel that because the work you're doing, it sounds like it probably does help people, but sometimes someone can feel like they want to have that ex direct experience with people they're helping or be closer to it. And that can be important. Some people, they like to do research and create, let's say, new drugs that are going to help lots of people and that feels good for them and very fulfilling and that's wonderful. Other people, they feel like they need more of that face-to-face -face contact direct interaction with people yeah. and maybe that's more the way you are and of course there are options like that so again keep trying i would talk to people that are in the fields you're in this is always true for anything we're doing um to do what you, you want to do and talk to them again you can take them out to lunch try to interact with them get an idea of what it is they're doing they can sometimes help you and how to get there or first even show you what they do because sometimes we hear about a job it sounds really good, but if we actually did it and if we find out what they actually do, we don't want it. So first you want to see if they actually are doing what you want, but keep pursuing that. And based on your age at 30, there's a lot of time for you to figure that out and make sure you're doing what feels fulfilling to you. And it seems like you're someone who doesn't want to just do any job. You want to make sure it's something you feel good about. And so I would make sure you keep pursuing that. 
Yes, and one other question I had was uh, because I was also considering going back to a school. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's going to help the situation <laughs> yeah. or not. But then I figured, as you said, that might be also as a way to kind of escape from this job. Well, it so could be, but I, I don't know. To go back to a yeah. school. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not saying that any education, of course, I think education is wonderful. So definitely not that education is an escape, but it could be. And so you'd have to ask yourself, and I don't know about the fields you want to go into. Maybe if you went and got another degree or a different degree, it would make it so you could get the job you want and then it would make sense. So that's not something I can exactly help you with because I don't know about the field and the type of jobs you're looking for and the requirements. That's where you have to keep asking uh, the people who are in those fields to find out what's the right way to do that and get yourself to where you want to get to. But you do have to ask yourself, as we mentioned, are you escaping something else? And that's not clear to me yet. I'm not hearing that exactly that you're escaping, although you talked about dating in a very casual way, that it doesn't seem like you're pursuing something serious. Is that something that you don't want to get married for some time or you're not sure you even want to get married? I don't think, no, not anytime soon. At some point, maybe in about four or five years from now, but not at this point. I would say it's not a priority right now. Okay. All right. When you say not for now, is there some reason that you feel something will change? Is there something you want to do in the meantime? Because right now I feel like I'm not really certain. Okay. And that's also another thing because in general I feel like I know I don't want to go back to Iran because I can't, but then I don't feel like this American lifestyle is also a good fit. For me, just having a nine-to-five job and then buying a house, getting a mortgage and all the things that other people do, I feel like that's not going to make me happy either. So what would make you happy? Yeah, that's the hard part. That's okay. what I can't figure out. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We have, yeah, we have to try to figure that out because, you know, the way you described it, we could say that about anything that anyone says is fulfilling oh, I don't want to just get married and share my life with someone and create a family. If we just say it in those ways, we can, in a way, minimize any kind of experience. And I know you're here and you've been here 10 years or so. Um, and a lot of people who immigrate later in life can have this feeling of that they're not home and they can't go back and they feel very stuck. But it'll be important for you to find some roots somewhere. Even if you put your roots here in America, it doesn't mean you're American or you think it's the best place, but it might be the place where you are. So I think it's, it would be better for you to live your life like this is your home, like you are an Iranian-American, but an American at that because that's where you are at this time, to really establish yourself in all those ways. And maybe that's why you don't feel like uh, having a serious relationship or getting married because you don't feel like this is home or you don't feel like you're, you're belonging anywhere. And so that floating yes, feeling, yeah, <laughs> and there is something I felt in the way you talked about dating that felt that way, but that floating feeling uh, makes it so that you don't really get to establish anything either. So be aware of that. And maybe there's something even about the refugees, of course, having compassion for refugees makes sense for everyone. There could be something that draws you towards that also, because you at some level feel like a refugee, like you don't have a home. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. So that's something I'd want you to look at for yourself of, how much of a feeling of home do I have? Who am I? 
who do I want to be? And maybe there's something you're getting from not really settling in anywhere, but that you want to establish yourself somewhere. And so a lot of, I know even Iranians, that there's like the analogy of them still having their bags packed as if they're ready to go back to Iran, even though they maybe can't or it's not really feasible. But I would, it's better if they can establish this, themselves here to make here good for now. Maybe you'll go back sometime in the future, but live as if this is home. So that's something I would suggest for you to think about as you continue to pursue these things with your career. And we have to be also aware of that now that this is getting introduced in my understanding of you, that there could be something where you're always going to want to leave, that you'll have a hard time committing and staying somewhere. So it could be that you're unhappy at this work because it's not the right job for you, but you always have to ask yourself, am I just trying to move on to something new because I don't want to stay settled in somewhere. Um, I'm looking at the time. I do have to wrap up, but thank you so much for calling. Thank you for taking my call. It was nice talking to you. Likewise. <laughs> have a great day. Thank you. YouTube. Thank you. All right. Reach the end of today's show again next week. I won't be here. So I'll be back with you April 22nd. Thank you to Ghazaleh who's here to do the show. But now to close us out is Farhuda and everyone who called in and all the listeners out there. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dalak. We have a wonderful day. Mm-hmm.